Welcome to Explain the Bible, where we explain the Bible. This is Daniel Jepson. Sometimes I'm joined by Nathan Beasley. We have two other podcasts you might want to check out, Philosophy and Faith and Pretty Good Sermons. Links are in the show notes. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Pastor Nathan. Good morning, Pastor Daniel. All right, so this is part one of a six-part series on the Lord's Prayer. And uh, I want to begin by just asking, why are we doing this? It seems like the Lord's Prayer is probably very familiar. Some people who are listening probably even have it memorized. It's probably printed somewhere and put up on the walls of most churches here in our town, if not in the rest of the world. So it's a very famous and popular prayer. So why do we need to add our comments when so many others who have gone before us already have done so. <laughs> yeah. So great question. I was looking on iTunes some time ago and I found that there are over 2,000 renditions of the Lord's Prayer on iTunes. No available. way. Yeah. That's amazing. Everybody from Frank Sinatra to somebody called Jesus Motel. Love it. Recorded some musical or spoken variation of the Lord's Prayer. It is one of, if not the most well-known parts of Scripture, if you were just looking at how many people could recite the words to a passage of, say, five or six verses. Wow, that's amazing. It is. But here's my contention. You know, there, there's an old phrase that familiarity breeds contempt. Yeah. I think it's more likely to breed apathy. I think that we think we know this when we don't, simply because we're familiar with the words and cadences of the prayer. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So to me, the answer to your question of why do we want to spend time on this is because this, first of all, this is Jesus's answer when his disciples said, will you show us how to pray? And then secondly, because I think we don't understand it very fully, we tend to view it as something we are supposed to repeat rather than something that is supposed to be a template for our own prayers in our own minds and not just a mantra or a formula that we repeat. Yeah, that's really good and helpful. So as we get started here, we're just going to go through this phrase by phrase. And this phrase, first one is, Our Father in Heaven. Yeah. So I got a couple questions about this. What, what does it mean that God is our Father? And why is that significant? Yeah, you know, that's one of those things where it is so much more important and significant and wonderful than, than we get. Because we're used to saying this, right? Yeah. We are used to calling God our Father. We hear it in this prayer all the time. That was a radical statement on Jesus's part when he told his disciples, this is how you pray. Hmm. Start with our Father. Because you can look from the first page of the Old Testament to the last, and you will not find one individual praying to God as Father. Really? Yes. They did not use that as a term for God individually in prayer. It never happened. There are a handful of times where God is called the Father of Israel. So there's a theological use in which he is the Father of the nation or the people. But no, you could, you could go through the whole Old Testament. David, Abraham, Sarah, Ruth, none of the prayers of the Old Testament, none of the people in the Old Testament prayed God as Father. Not even any of the prophets or any anybody? 
Wow. So some people have suggested that this is really the fundamental distinction, in a way, between the Old and the New Testament, is that God is seen not only as a great king and creator and judge, but also because of Jesus as our Father, the one we can have a, a different kind of relationship with. That's beautiful, and I could see the way that that would change how we pray. Right. Because it gives it an intimacy that he is a loving father. Yeah. And I love the emphasis on him being our father. So the collective right. pronoun there. He's not just my father, but he's the father of all people. Yeah, indeed. Beautiful. And that idea of fatherhood then carries with it not only the relationship, but also the right to come to him apart from what we've done or achieved. When I had a father, I didn't have to worry if I was if I'd been a good enough kid to come to my father. And we don't have to worry about that. Beyond that, it also speaks to the father's heart that he desires to give us good things. Mm. You're a new father. Yeah. I'm an old one. <laughs> uh, but our hearts are the same. When we see that our children have a desire, unless it's bad for them, we delight in giving that to them. Yeah. You know, when you're a kid at Christmas, getting presents is everything, right? That's all what <laughs> yeah. it's about. But that's not true when you're a parent. When yeah. you're a parent, what's great about Christmas is giving the kids what they desire, what will delight them. Yeah, that's good. So the, the prepositional phrase following our Father is in heaven. Yeah. What's the significance of that? One question I have is, where is heaven? Okay. <laughs> when is heaven? No, I, I don't know. Maybe that gets beyond the, the key of this. But why does Jesus qualify our Father within heaven? And what's the significance of that? Okay, yeah. I think there are a couple of things going on. Number one, he is reminding us that though he is our Father, he is also highly exalted above us. So what you see is a combination of transcendence. He is above us. He is in heaven, as it were. But also this eminence, this intimacy, that he is also our Father in spite of that. So that's one thing it brings across. We can't come to God flippantly. We can't come to him disrespectfully, like some people do to their earthly father, because he is the high and exalted father. So the question of where is heaven? And the answer is both everywhere and nowhere, in a sense. Heaven is not a place in the universe that you could travel to, that if you have the right kind of ship or the right kinds of means of transportation, you could go there. That's not where heaven is. It's not in the outer atmosphere. Heaven is described in two ways in the scripture. It's described as the sky. So that's literally what the word means, is sky. Hmm. In fact, you see sometimes in the Old Testament, especially like in Genesis, they go back between translating that as skies or heavens. So you'd be in Genesis 1. Oh, gotcha. Now that's literally what the word means. But even from very early on, you see that because of that, it then contained this symbolic element of the place or the realm where God dwells beyond this world. And that's what it means here, is not that God is physically in the sky, of course, but rather that there is a realm of existence or reality that transcends our physical world and that God is in that place. He owns that place. He controls that place. So it is an element of reality that interacts with, but also transcends our world. That's beautiful. So you can see 
the the tension between totally being personal and then also totally being above and he's the creator and we're the created and so there's a certain respect and honor like sure. you said we, we shouldn't approach him in prayer flippantly right and even the first four words of this prayer bring out the, the beautiful mystery of both his transcendence and his closeness yeah exactly so right off the bat we see that jesus is modeling a prayer that's intimate talking to a good loving parent and i love that because it's not based on performance but on relationship held together by commitment and enveloped by love so what would it look like for us to pray in this way to pray and trust to pray that god knows what I need and God can give me what I need. And because God is a good and loving parent, God actually wants to give me what I need. Just makes me want to go to him in prayer, trustingly to ask and receive. And that leads to a passage here that's closer to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, which is where the Our Father prayer comes in. That's Matthew 7, 7. I want to read it here because it's going to shape the rest of the prayer. Mm-hmm. It's going to speak to God as a loving parent, which really kind of paves the way for us to go to him yeah. confidently, trusting that he is good. So Matthew 7, 7 through 11 says, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. And then Jesus continues saying, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? That's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, sure is. It's uh, comforting. Also a little bit convicting because I don't go to God as often as I should. Yeah, same. Yeah, same. Well, again, this this idea that God is our Father in heaven is the beautiful paradox that invites us to go to him as a loving Father who is also transcendent and able to able to carry out our requests. Yep. And that's a beautiful thing. We come to him as a person, not as a vending machine. <laughs> we come to him as a father mm-hmm. who loves us, who knows the best thing for us, even when we might not, and who cares. Yeah. So it's not about saying the right things in the right way in order to get the response that we want. Exactly. It's about going to him in trust, just like we would go to a loving parent. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, thanks for listening. Hit the subscribe button if you want to hear future episodes. And again, feel free to check out Philosophy and Faith and Pretty Good Servants, our other podcasts. Bye now.